Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza and I'm joined, as usual, by John Sheeran over in the uh, the Queen City area. John, how are you, sir? I'm great. Um, I'm in the room that I grew up with. I know I, 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 get the, I get the vibe sometimes that our listeners don't think me as a Bengals fan because I'm very negative a lot, but as you can see behind me, those are just some of my jerseys that I that I went, got over the years. One, the one in the middle is a custom one. It says Sheeran on the back. So I I am in fact a Bengals fan. In case some people may not not think of it, and I was a pretty big one back in my my youth. Yeah, so, well, it's it's also a nice little shrine to your achievements as a as a kid. There's trophies, uh, yeah, and medals, like all, and... all, all the little league baseball stuff. <laughs> I was on a powerhouse team. I was like the youngest kid on that team. So nice, carried me. Nice. Well, uh, good to have you with us. And and John, it's. Uh, it's basically the start of, I mean, it's one of the major events of the offseason here. The NFL Combine is is sort of underway. Uh, interviews and teams were kind of arriving in Indianapolis the last couple of days. Some news and notes to talk about there. We'll, we'll get to that uh, along with uh, some other news and notes in terms of Bengals coaching hires. We're going to talk about the John Ross situation. We also have a question of the week, um, and we're going we're gonna to kind of have a little bit of fun. Try and... Uh, it's been uh, there's been a lot of drama with the Bengals in in such a what's supposed to be kind of a quiet period of the calendar. So we're going to try and have a little fun and have a fun discussion with uh, you, the listeners, as well. And then we'll get to some listener questions at the end. You can uh, get to us in the live YouTube chat with your questions throughout the entire show. We'll get to those. If you're joining us on CincyJungle.com, you can leave them in the comment thread there. Um, you can get to them get get them to us on Twitter at BengalsOBI uh, or um, you can give us a call or shoot us a text. Uh, we'll be taking texts throughout the show. Calls later in the show. 949-542-6241 is the number. We're happy to have you with us. And uh, but kind of before we we get to the, the segment later in the show about the question of the week, just in case you, you don't follow us on Twitter or you didn't see it, um, we asked a, a question about which... Which Bengals figurehead you would like to see a documentary on. So um, whether that is one that's, I mean, there's, there's been a couple of documentaries recently that have been made, um, whether that's a 30 for 30 or a football life or what have you, there are some interesting, interesting people um, that uh, I think we could choose from. We've already got a lot of responses. So cho- cho- uh, vote if it's, uh, if you haven't yet vote on Twitter at Bengals OBI, that post is there, get us your information. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. John, let's kick off the show though with uh, 
Um, I guess let, let's talk about the coaching hires. Last week at this time, we were talking about how Lou Anarumo was basically the favorite, um, <laughs> the favorite of who was left, uh, who had not said no. And then uh, lo and behold, a day or two later, it was officially announced that he was, uh, he is now the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's been on the job for less than a week and now he's at the, the scouting combine. Um, you know, I don't want to rehash a bunch because we talked about him for a little while there. But, uh, I mean, I guess it's it's expected that he was the guy, given some of what we had heard leading up to last week's show. Um, are you feeling any better about it? Or is this kind of a settlement by <laughs> Zach Taylor and the Bengals? Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, they hired or, or they it was first reported that Zach Taylor was hired like Thursday, like the day after our show back in January. And then they hired an interview on, on Thursday as well. So they're really helping us out with that. But I know Appreciate like, that. My, my thoughts aren't really any different with an, it's uh, I, I cannot say his name. Right on the I, I, ever. I'm, I'm like, terrible about it myself. It's going it to be such a struggle, like writing his name throughout the season. Uh, Am Amaruno Anarumo. <laughs> And he comes from Staten Island, so I assume he might have some roots in there. So, um, no, but 29 years of coaching experience. Last time as a defensive coordinator was with Miami for, I think, 12 weeks. But before then was in the early 90s with, I believe, Marine Merchant Academy. So it's been a yeah. while since he kind of built his own defense. And that was always going to be a risk. And when you hire the very last defensive coordinator in the NFL, it's never going to be a slam dunk hire from the beginning. But as we've talked about, you know, it's really hard to judge coaching hires initially, especially when you have guys that without – an experienced track record to the name like a Wade Phillips or someone like that. So at the at the very least, the positives are he's worked with Taylor before. They have a good relationship that they had in Miami. So I think there's going to be that camaraderie and, and that you know cohesion that, by association with them, so they can establish some type of culture early on on both sides of the ball. Because he is by default the second most important coach on the staff because you know Taylor's going to handle the offense and then Nairo is going to have full control over his defense and what that defense looks like and who's on it. We it's far too early to know and it, it kind of stinks for him that he had to really you know accelerate his evaluation of the full roster right before you know draft season really begins for a lot of these coaches and now they they've reportedly hired the, their final two assistants on the defensive side of the ball and may, maybe uh Anarumo had some um hopefully had some input on that but I think he's a I think he's a decent coach and you know if if he turns out well great if he doesn't you know then they won't be able to then at the very least they'll be able to start looking you know a lot earlier in the, in the calendar year for his replacement yeah and you know we we mentioned this last week there is a lot of there are a lot of inexperienced coaches and or first-time guys getting kind of promotions on this staff uh anarumo is one of them you mentioned he was a defensive coordinator but it was at a small school at the college level. So obviously that's, you know, there's some worries there. Um, Zach Taylor himself, first time coach, head coach. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some inexperience on this staff quickly. You met, you, you alluded to the fact that the Bengals uh, basically hired two other assistants. One is Nick Eason, um, former NFL player, former Steelers player. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he's, he's going to be coaching the uh, defensive line. Um, your thoughts on him? I, I, the Bengals apparently wanted uh, Aaron Henderson, and he said no, um, or basically opted to go to the Rams, ironically. Um, <laughs> and uh, now the Bengals have, have got uh, Eason in the fold for the defensive line. Yeah, so a friend on the podcast, Jake Liska, who is co-host of, of Locked on Bengals, he kind of alluded to, or he talked about uh, Eason's um, 
just track record. He played for the Steelers for a while under Dick LeBeau, and then he went to uh, be Dick LeBeau's defensive line coach in Tennessee, and that's where he spent most of his coaching career so far before he went to Austin P this past season. So he has a lot of experience working with the the defense that Dick LeBeau runs. That's the like the old fashioned, you know, two gap three four defense. And obviously, you know, as the years have gone by, LeBeau has evolved his defense accordingly as well. But I I I, I kind of like that at higher in that sense where. You know, the Steelers defense dominated the Bengals for a, a long time when they were at their peak, and they always had a good control of of defending the run, which is obviously something that the Bengals had a lot of issues with. And honestly, I liked the Bengals' last defensive line coach, Jacob Bernie. I thought he got the most out of Ryan Glasgow in the three in the three games that he played. But I thought he was making a nice step. Um, I, I, I liked the, the progress that Carl Austin was showing under him. And, I, you know, I, I like Bernie. I think he brought some good things. And I think Eason, having just retired from the NFL about a handful of years ago, um, experience under, you know, experienced defensive coordinators, I, I think this was a solid hire for, for when they made it. And, you know, the, the defensive line is – I think we felt a lot more comfortable about the defensive line, um, you know, in the offseason last year than, than what we do now because there's more uncertainty. But I think Eason pr- provides good coaching experience, a good – and good just overall experience as a player to really get the most out of the guys there and hopefully bring in some guys that that provide you know qualities that they don't have right now yeah and obviously familiar with the afc north which is which is a big plus uh in general um interesting though i mean you know steelers guy uh ran some different defensive concepts and the Bengals have traditionally run marvin lewis and who they have on the roster so going to be interesting to see how that turns out. And then the Bengals uh, seem to be hiring uh, Tem Lukabu. I, I think he was, uh, was he from Mississippi state? Yeah. Mississippi state. Um, and he's going to come in and uh, be an assistant here as well. Any thoughts on him? I know he's kind of a little bit of an unknown guy as well. Yeah. So continue with coaching trees. I, th- I believe he was with uh, Greg Shiano for a number of years. I, I know he was with Rutgers and, he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I don't know if that was when Shiana was there. It might have been a little bit after his time, but he was with the Bucs. He was with the 49ers as the defensive quality control. He's been largely just like a general defensive assistant, but most of his work has been with linebackers because that's the position that he dominated in college, and he dominated Colgate and never made an NFL career out of it. But uh, he was actually born in Congo and graduated Bachelor of Arts from, from Colgate. He's a very intelligent guy. He's only 37 years old, and I think Easton's also in his late 30s. So continuing the trend of you know young guys you know, kind of getting their feet wet still in, in the coaching game and co- coming back to the NFL, I think this is going to be a good opportunity for him because, honestly, he has, like, like pro- I don't want to say the most free reign, but, like, his position – group is going to ex- experience probably the most volatile changes with you know guys coming out maybe guys coming in because honestly the linebacking group shouldn't look anywhere close to what it was in 2018 so i think he's going to have a, a decent amount of input on what is going to be on the field for for that position group this year and i'm excited that we have um someone kind of brand new on the scene that, that can that can provide some like fresh innovative uh, coaching techniques yeah so i mean that's that's the young and innovative that's kind of the name of the game with the Bengals staff this year and uh you know whether it works out or not you got to say i guess kudos to them because they got kind of set in their ways and things got stale and now they've really kind of redone a lot of different stuff uh and that that comes with the the young the youth on the coaching staff um let there's there Taylor and Duke Tobin kind of took they took the podium on Wednesday at the NFL Combine and there was a lot of interesting information. One was specifically about a <laughs> a certain player that was a recent top ten pick. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But um, 
you know, Taylor kind of talked about the fact that, yeah, there there is a little bit of uh, – it's either coaches he worked with or if he was not familiar with them or has never worked with them, um, you know, he basically – he said, you know, they were people that he knew through people that he worked with type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it is kind of an old boys club in, in some way or another for, for Taylor and his coaching staff. Yeah, and it was another point where, I mean, Tobin is pretty used to this, and I think Taylor has gotten pretty good in a short amount of time as a head coach to kind of talk and talk the way the head coach kind of talks and not give away a lot of information. But um, Tobin, you know, clarified that, you know, Sean McVay did not get Taylor the job. That was a, a poignant part of his thing. Um, expressed confidence in Tyler Boyd, you know, ho- hopefully that kind of alludes to a potential extension going forward. Um, but mainly for for from Tobin's press conference because unfortunately I think he got booted off the stage early because next after him was Kevin Colbert the Steelers GM and uh, I guess everybody in Indianapolis wanted to talk to him about Antonio Brown but before he got off I think he talked a little bit about the 2019 quarterback class and something that has annoyed me and a lot of the other Bengals fans is that um, obviously they grade all quarterbacks but they weren't interested and they weren't even considering taking a quarterback in 2017, 2018, when guys like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, even Josh Rosen were in play for them. Now he's talking about, you know, he, he's evaluating the 2019 class, but he says it's not very deep at the top, but he didn't r- rule out taking a quarterback. And I think that's, I think that's important to, to at least note because, you know, they, they both Taylor and Tobin express confidence in Dolan, you know, the, the usual thing that they say all the time, but at least keeping that door open, that possibility open, that if the right guy is there, then they won't be afraid to take him to uh, just improve the team in any way that they can. I think, you know, it, it's not, it's not much, but at the very least, it's not saying, you know, Andy Dolan is confirmed, you know, hundred percent the starter for 2019 or just any veteran for that matter. If the door is open, that's all that we can ask for, I guess. Yeah. And uh, there were some other interesting comments about from Taylor kind of saying, Oh yeah, Dalton is, you know, a right fit. And he kind of said some similar things about Dalton that he said when he first got here. And uh, he kind of reiterates the fact that he likes what Dalton can do in his, in his offensive system. So um, what you will see how true <laughs> that is and other items are that he, that he and Duke Tobin talked about. Um, there, there was, you know, a couple of other, uh, a couple of other things in there uh, in terms of free agency. You know, they talked about Tyler Eifert, Duke Tobin talked about Tyler Eifert and kind of said, yeah, we'll talk about him. Like the same thing they said last year. Right. Like the same exact situation. Right. And it is the same exact situation because productive guy when he's there hurt missed most of the season. So, um, you know, <clears throat> it's, it, it, there's that. And then I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, he kind of was, he was a little lukewarm, at least from the words and, and the, what I heard from him, it was a little lukewarm on Darquez Denard coming back. I don't know if I read that differently than you did, but uh, uh, he kind of was like, well, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. It was, it was almost like the same thing with Burke. So they didn't really give it like a time. Like I guess I guess he said what he what he you know wanted to say about the situation without confirming anything. But it wasn't like any resounding vote of confidence that like he's just like a centerpiece of, of anything. And but you know it's it's line season. People yeah. call it smoke season, but it's it's really line season. And they're they're all incredible liars. And we do our very best to overanalyze everything that right say. right. And you know some of it's coach speak. Some of it's just. You know, it is what it is. So, um, but interesting comments nonetheless from um, 
both Duke Tobin and uh, Zach Taylor. Obviously, they're there scouting the players at the NFL Combine, as are the coaches. And this new staff that that is getting pieced together is um, down down in Indianapolis, looking at the prospects this year. And um, you know, uh, we'll we'll start hearing things as April comes around. We'll start hearing things about how and who the Bengals are connected to in terms of rookie players and guys that they're, they're kind of gravitating to. One other thing I thought was interesting um, it was, uh, you know, it, it sounds like they're going to, we'll see. I mean, do you think that they're going to put more ta- emphasis on, you know, tape or the interview, or do you think they've seen enough on tape from some of these guys that it's now more about meeting them and talking to them? Um, you know, it seems like Marvin Lewis's staff really, really was into the interview process, at least from the outside looking in. Do you get the same vibe on, on from this staff, or is it too soon to tell? I, th- I think it is a little bit too soon, but in general, like, I, I, I feel like most of those – tendencies under Lewis kind of really escalated towards the later years when Marvin was had a lot more experience under his belt and with with Taylor as a first time head coach just learning what he saw from like McVay and I guess back back in the days with Joe Philbin that he might have a different process in general but you know like, like the combine is like the most important thing at the combine is like the medical evaluations and just meeting the players and getting a grip on you know who they are as people because at, at the end of the day these are you know, very expensive employees that that you're counting on as human beings to to work under your system and to fit in your culture. And it's just like most of their jobs. Only it's not like most of their jobs. You know, these guys are getting paid to 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 do the thing that they're they're very good at. And you know, most I believe that most coaches will say that that tape is king and it's the number one thing that's important about it. And I don't expect Taylor to say anything else. But as far as like you know, catch a bottle shaking analytics and like handshake analytics that our old offensive line coach Paul Alexander had, and I'm not sure that that's exactly going to be um, re- rehashed but I mean I mean we'll, we'll, we'll start after like you know if, if Taylor ends up here for more than a couple years we'll, we'll start to get a, a notice on his his tendencies and th- th- this draft class will be a very interesting one to, to see from the start because they're in a good position they have the second most picks in the draft and we'll we'll, we'll start establishing what type of trend of what type of uh, what type of players he gravitates towards. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Just another quick little bit of news. The Bengals were awarded three compensatory picks in the sixth round. Um, I mean, whoopee, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, um, that that occurred since our last episode as well. I mean, obviously this team needs some depth. They need to replenish some positions. But uh, I, I don't know the three sixth round picks, if you use all those, is really going to net you a, a lot of impact players personally. But um, – and and if you look at the track record under Marvin Lewis and the the who they have used six round picks on it, uh, it hasn't net very much in terms of a, a no Tom Brady's there, no no. <laughs> um, well, there might be one this year. I mean, that's always the the goal of this thing is to find find that that type of player. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. It's also on the Megaphone platform. You can get it on YouTube, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. So subscribe to our channels, download our material, and uh, yeah, we've got some interesting stuff coming up, I think, over the next handful of weeks in terms of draft shows and combine shows and all that kind of stuff. So stick with us. So it is line season at the combine where 32 teams congregate and 
a giant hotel ballroom in St. Elmo's Steakhouse, and basically they all lie to each other or lie to them in the media or say things that the media takes out of control. One of those things, maybe one of the biggest news pieces, was our own John Ross and how it was reported that the Bengals were in the process of beginning to field offers for the 2017 first-round pick. Here's the facts in the situation. John Ross, if the Bengals were to trade him, would it would cost them a little bit north of $5 million in dead money. John Ross has seven touchdowns in his career, but only 21, 21 receptions. Um, overall, the tape is not tremendous with Ross. The production is not there. And honestly, if the Bengals were to successfully trade John Ross, they might not get more than, let's say, a high day three pick. So when it first came out, when the, when the news first came out, the initial response was, you know, this is stupid. Why would they, why would they do such a thing? You know, John Ross is still 23, 24 years old. We haven't really seen at fully what he can do at, at his best, but there is another side of this. And as it, as it comes with a new head coach who brings in most of his assistants, he has types that he likes at certain positions. And, when evaluating the roster, he has his own perspective on you know who kind of fits with the guys that we are established here that we are determined to build around. And as a result, sometimes the roster shakes up. So to dismiss this rumor right off the bat, even with Duke Tobin vehemently denying it, and Zach Taylor kind of denying it as well, it, we can't, I guess, put it completely across the table because there was also reports coming out today from ESPN's Kat Terrell that teams were inquiring about trading for Ross during the season. Bengals claimed that they weren't interested in interested in that. So maybe this rumor was just the, the culmination of a few months in the making, and it kind of leaked right at the time where these things sort of leak. But Anthony, you know, if if the Bengals were truly considering to trade John Ross, is it a good decision or a bad decision? I think it's a bad decision in, on a number of different fronts. Um, and if you want to kind of be stock market guy about it you know it's it's buying high and selling low um and you know i think there there is other and you mentioned also that it, there's there's a pretty significant dead money hit if they got rid of him um especially for a guy on his rookie contract so and the Bengals are, are are a team that usually do not i think they are one of if not the lowest in terms of teams that carry dead money currently mm -hmm. uh, that's just the way they structure. And I think part of that is, you know, they don't guarantee as much money on, on, on contracts and all that kind of stuff. But um, for all of the belly aching that I know I have done about the team and, and their lack of free agency focus, um, at least they have kind of that where they can say, you know, yeah, we haven't, maybe we haven't done as much, but we're also never in salary cap hell, which is never fun for, for any team. So um now, granted, that wouldn't that wouldn't do much, but in terms of putting them in salary cap help, but here's here's my thing with it. Um, you have guys behind who are the top three receivers on the team: AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross. You have guys behind them that probably need to uh, some need to be elevated, and some need to probably be shed. I think mm -hmm. uh, I think Cody Core is a guy that you probably need to sit here and say, well, maybe that's just not working. Um, and there's, there's uh, some other guys in there and maybe you elevate Alden Tate, uh, as more of a possession guy. And maybe that's, um, he gets another shot. Um, I don't know if he is in the mold of a Taylor guy. Um, that might not, that may not be 
music to <laughs> to some Bengals fans' ears. But um, my thing is, we've seen players and and receivers in particular. Hell, there was one this on the team last year that did it. Year three, big jump, Tyler Boyd. Um, Nelson Aguilar is another guy who ended up becoming same same kind of thing. Um, I, I think Marquise Lee a couple of years ago in his third year down in Jacksonville, he ended up after struggling his first year or two, he ended up coming up and becoming a decent decent player, even though their offense was terrible last year. But um, my point is is that there's still a lot of untapped potential. There's still a lot of um, I I guess it's still. To me, this should be an experiment type of year for Zach Taylor in, in that he should be able to, to, even if it's for a year, have Andy Dalton, have John Ross, and and use them in a system and be like, does this work? Now, that doesn't mean you, you don't bring in another wide receiver. That doesn't mean you don't bring in another quarterback. I It's just, to me, you've already experienced three straight losing seasons. Um, you know you've got some talented guys on this team. I I would hate to just have them just really kind of dumpster fire the entire thing, get rid of some of these guys, and then all of a sudden we're looking at a three-win season. What's what would be perceived as kind of a major regression from the last couple of seasons, which is saying something. And, and I think that John Ross deserves a chance in this type of pass-happy offense. Um, you know, they they the uh, the Rams used guys, Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, that can do some similar things in terms of speed and all that kind of stuff that Ross can. I think you, I think Ross has been Ross has been his own worst enemy in Cincinnati, but I think he hasn't made any you know, he didn't make any friends with Marvin Lewis or anything like that. But also I think there's been there were missed opportunities for big plays last year by Andy Dalton. There were uh, some some questionable play calls by Bill Lazor in terms of the fact that Ross, yeah, you can go deep with him, and yeah, you can shoot him deep, but there should also be a lot of yards after the catch type yes. of plays called to him, and there is not, there has not been that. Um, you know, easy pitch and catch, get Dalton's confidence up, get Ross's confidence up early in a game. You know, maybe it's an eight-yard play, but it's a screen, and all of a sudden, you know, on first down, you're you're looking at second and two, and it's a nice play. Um, that, it's those kind of things where you go, well, get, I just would like to see him get one shot in this new offense. And I think that next year, if you try and trade him, if even if it doesn't really work out as well, if you try and trade him next year, you probably won't get that much lower of a pick than you would this year. Um, I, I don't know. I, to me, I, I, I just think that it's it, he needs another year here in Cincinnati. To play devil's advocate, because I know – a lot of people like John Ross, but a lot of people from the start did not like the fit, not only with Cincinnati, but in like Billage's offense, but also with Andy Dalton. I was one of the I was one of the people that assumed that because Ross played with Jake Browning at Washington, Browning by by and large is like a college version of Andy Dalton. Not not the greatest arm, you know, not, not the greatest velocity, kind of on the on the shorter side or whatever. But um, Ross produced fine in Washington with uh, a limited quarterback in Browning and just off the off the off face value. I would think that the transition from Browning to Dalton wouldn't be as bad as it is, but clearly Ross has not succeeded at all. It, it, it is just with one season with, with Dalton at the helm. I think he had the second highest uncatchable uh, target rate out of all guys of targets over 20 yards, and I don't think that's coincidental with, considering Andy Dalton and Jeff Driscoll throwing in the ball. So if this is a realization that two years in, this guy, you know, 
we're going to be committed to a quarterback like Andy Dalton, and this guy is not fitted to play with him and to, and to succeed with him, and he's not going to be able to fulfill his potential, it is at the very least beneficial to open the possibility of making him expendable for an asset where you could find similar production because I think that's, that's it's it's production against potential with Ross because the production is probably replaceable. Seven touchdowns is kind of a lot for only 21 catches, but at the end of the day, 21 receptions off 55 targets, you can probably replace that in, in some way, shape, or form. But it's like if you get a fourth or fifth round pick, are you going to get someone who has the potential to become what Ross can be? And then you go back to, is Ross going to fulfill his potential with Andy Dolan or a quarterback like Andy Dolan throwing him the ball? And that's like the the, the push and pull that they're going with. So I, I, from that sense, I can understand why this trade would make sense because if the Bengals do want to win now and if fans do want to win now under Zach Taylor, then getting a guy who fits better with Andy Dolan to be that third receiver in an offense that's probably going to be 90% 11 personnel with three receivers on the field. It's not the worst thing in the world, obviously. And again, like going back to your stock example, this is like them buying on a startup that just started at the IPO, seeing a tank for unfortunately reasons out of his control. Cause I think we can agree that Ross does have his own issues, but most of the issues plaguing him weren't exactly his fault. So now you're selling him at a very low price and you know, teams are going to, pounce on that with a fifth or sixth or maybe even a fourth round pick and then potentially see that value rise up when he's still in his early 20s so it's not a good deal on the surface of the Bengals but I understand some of the logic behind if if they want to get this going fat game for an AFC North title that's still pretty much in in the makings of being possible I can understand it from that sense but at the end of the day like they're not going to get back nearly what they put in for Ross but it's it, it's also if they do end up making the steal, which it, it's still completely up in the air. I can understand them just cutting their losses on a player that unfortunately they just, just kind of missed the eval because even beyond the the fit with the offense that's in place, he 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 is probably going to be injury prone for most of his career. Like he hurt himself running the forty yard dash, and if if he can't maintain that elite athleticism without getting dinged up more times than not and becoming, I guess, the wide receiver version of Tyler Eifert, then that's that's an unfortunate loss you're gonna have to take on his evaluation and if they feel like this time is right to unload on him then there's at least that perspective where you can understand it yeah there's other i mean to play devil's advocate on my own uh, argument here i mean there, who, know, who knows who, who what he's like in the locker room really i mean there could be some issues yeah, there this could, his, this could be his own like you know right yeah I mean, there could have been some sort of issues there. I, I had heard some rumors that towards the end of last year that, uh, you know, he was kind of at odds with, with the team. And I thought basically that was a Marvin Lewis type of situation, he and Marvin Lewis. And um, I, so so I kind of see some other factors. If, if a high pick is offered, like a second round pick or something, then you go, okay, well, maybe we listen a little more intently. Um, I don't see that being the case. But right. uh I mean, I, I just I, I think it's worth giving him another shot in this in this uh, in this new system. And look, if if you were, and this isn't really a great reason to say don't unload him, but if you were to trade him, look at the draft, the first round picks from 2013 through, uh, I mean, basically uh, last year, right? Yeah. I mean, you had Tyler Eifert, one Pro Bowl, but uh, Hurt all the time. Uh, yeah, Darquez Denard, decent slot guy. He's had some injuries here and there. You know, that, that's a first-round pick. Uh, Cedric Abwehi, I think we know the deal there. 
William Jackson missed his entire first rookie season. Um, he's been a, a pretty good player when he's been out there. Didn't have an interception last year, though. Um, and, and then, you know, you've got Ross, and then you've got Billy Price last year who, who missed a good chunk of the season. So, you know, when you say kind of laissez-faire, oh, you know, you missed the eval. Normally I'd say totally, John, I get it. But when when there's kind of a track record of like yeah. a, a lot of high picks with some issues, um, I mean, you, you can't keep you can't keep whiffing on these types of things. And not saying that all of those guys were whiffs because they weren't, but I think they they are more disappointing than I think we thought they would be. Yeah. I think I think that's a pretty fair statement. But like successful teams don't have like three consecutive first round picks, all free agents on one in one offseason, and the likelihood of all three of those guys coming back is like zero. And that's exactly what it's with Eifert and De- Dennard and Aboyhi. And that that was like the start of like their downfall because they if you if you're not active in free agency and you rely completely on the draft and then you have unfortunate misses in the top of the draft, that's it's like it's inevitable that you're going to be unsuccessful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately it, it, these, these kinds of picks have kind of put the Bengals behind the eight ball. But um, as you mentioned though, John, I think, and I kind of want to ask this portion of, of it to you, Tobin and Taylor kind of just said, no, no, we haven't even had, and Tobin was very emphatic that yeah. they have not had discussions about John Ross. You also said, this is, a time for great lying. <laughs> um, do you believe that they have, I think, let me, let me just back up for a second. One of the, one of the initial sources was Tony Pauline, who is a, a, a draft guy. He's got some, you know, he's got some good connections and all that kind of stuff. However, he was a guy a couple of years ago that floated the, the rumor randomly that the Bengals were going to cut ties with Carlos Dunlap. And that never even came close to <laughs> happening. He kind of floated this. He was one of the early guys floating this one out there as well. Um, obviously Ian Rappaport also ran with it, but I mean, do you, do you think that this was just like a random thing? Um, or do you think that, like you said, maybe this was based on some calls they received earlier and now as kind of people are reconvening and being around each other, they're talking about it more. Do you think they really are set and keeping John Ross based on what they said? I believe whenever any GM says we are not interested in doing this at all, it's because they haven't had an offer that's even close to what they want. And I think that's honestly the reality of any type of situation with this. And it could just be that they have simply not entertained any offer at all. But when you're, when there's usually when there is smoke, there is fire. And I'm not saying that's hundred percent of the time, but when you're talking about a player who is largely been unsuccessful in his first two in half of his rookie deal may not fit entirely with what the offense wants to do. You know, it, it, it's not implausible for it to be untrue, but, at, at, I think a vast consensus came to the conclusion that Ross is not worth anything more than like a pig just outside the top 100. And I just don't see the Bengals even looking at that. And that's essentially saying, yeah, we're not, we're not doing this. And that's basically, I think where that statement could have come from, if not them just completely telling the truth. And honestly, I'm not, I'm not distrusting. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you know, GMs and coaches are just bad people, but I just don't trust, most of the words that they say around this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. But for now, John Ross remains a bangle and uh, hopefully he takes that big leap in year three that, that we, that we have seen Tyler Boyd make and other guys make in the NFL. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. 
I'm Anthony Gazenza. He's John Shearer. And you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. It is also on the Megaphone platform. You can also get our material on YouTube. And all of it is on Cincy Jungle. John, before we kicked off the kind of everything we've been talking about, uh, we put out a tweet on our on our account, Twitter account here about uh, is a poll. Uh, which team figure or which figurehead would you want to most watch a documentary on? So, I mean, there's 30 for 30s, there's a football life, there's all kinds of stuff. We, unfortunately, because Twitter being what it is, it only allows four answers. Um, So we kind of just went with like three major ones and then other. Chad Johnson leads the way by a landslide in 50%. Boomer Sison was 16%. 25% was for Anthony Munoz. And 9% was from other. We also got a couple of interesting answers. I'll, I'll talk about those in a second. But who, if you were to say, I want to watch a documentary on this person, this their, their life, their time with the Bengals, what they're about. Um, and you can give me more than one if you want. Uh, but uh, who are some of the more intriguing names to you that you'd want to watch a documentary about? Hmm. So the obvious answer is Chad, but he he's already had a football life. Yeah. But, so like I I would be down for round two because I'm sure he has a lot more to say. So that's like the obvious answer because I, I like you just you just thinking like okay who are the guys that just gravitated to you the most when, when watching them who had just had the most involved in their lives and honestly for the most part the Bengals players have been pretty uninteresting especially in in this in this era but um, I, I I think beyond those answers i would like to learn more about ken anderson because mm-hmm. i believe that you know i i think he's by far one of the greatest hall of fame snubs and i think that's a story worth telling and just to get more context about how good he was in that era and you, you can see on on some era adjusted uh, statistics that he he was clearly the best the best when he was playing and maybe, maybe tell tell us about that first super bowl loss and just kind of how he was a part of those early or late 70s teams that kind of kind of established the Bengals as as the beginning of a, a legitimate franchise but just just to get a, to know a little bit more about him because that I, I think there was a feature on him in, in the inquire since that inquire last year about what he's doing now and how he doesn't really care about the whole hall of fame thing but he's one of the greatest players in in this franchise's history that's unfortunately been snubbed by the greatest honor in pro football and i think um Bengals fans would be really interested in learning more about the person that he was because they already know because they're 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 the few people that know that how great he was at at playing football. Yeah, uh, really good one. That was one that I you know I I wavered back and forth in terms of putting Boomer or Ken Anderson on the poll. I, I put Boomer just because he's just far more outgoing. Um, right. You know, I think a lot more fans are just more familiar with him just because he's a more recent quarterback and he's on CBS and he's on you know all kinds of platforms and uh, really intriguing guy. So I you know I, that's why I put him there. Um, just a couple of other interesting answers here, John, that I thought was were worth talking about. Mike Donahue on Twitter and uh, Chris Francis in the YouTube chat said Chris Henry. I thought that was that would be a very interesting one. Um, yeah, real, real. That'd be real sad uh, as well. Um, interesting one from Evan Hill says David Pollock. Um, that it's an interesting one. Um, 
Jamie at uh, on Twitter says Sam Weish. I got a couple of those as well. Um, Sam Weish, obviously a very uh, intriguing guy in Bengals history. So all of those I would love to see. I mean, it depends on you know your definition of a Bengals figure. I mean, I think Terrell Owens would be a very interesting <laughs> one to see as well, even though he's with the Bengals for a year. One guy I would really, or you know, if you want to kind of group them together. Um, they just get forgot about a lot because it was such a bad era of Bengals football. But the the Jeff Blake, Carl Pickens, Darnay Scott group. Mm, yeah. um, and, and for me particularly, Pickens is interesting because Pickens was a guy that um, he was a, a, an abrasive wide receiver, but he wasn't like the, the diva guys that you saw more late 90s, early 2000s, you know, that – you know, we're kind of the showman guys, I guess. Um, he was a guy that was at odds with ownership a lot because he hated the losing. And he was a guy that uh, I, you just, you didn't hear a lot from him. And I think part of that is the fact that, you know, 1994, 95, 96, he's, there's not social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he just wasn't, I, I think he was very, um, not, not so he wasn't very much into talking a lot in the media and, and he wasn't this look at me guy, but on the field, he was amazing. Uh, he wasn't the fastest guy. He wasn't, you know, Calvin Johnson build, but he was, he was a big guy. He made incredible catches. Um, I, I don't know. I just, that group uh, of guys, I think would be very interesting to see, hear their perspectives, hear what they have to say about the Bengals and ownership. Um, you know, I, those are guys that are very interesting to me. Darnay Scott, another guy that, you know, I think he was, he, he was a little bit of a one trick pony in terms of a deep threat guy, but um, God, he was fast and, and he, he put up some decent numbers with the Bengals as well. So I, since I was, since I was your era and, and more of your era than mine, I, I, I honestly just thought of this now. Would, would you say it's fair to say that Blake Pickens and Scott, that trio is like the value brand version of Culpepper, Moss, and Carter in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I guess you could say that. I think, I think Minnesota had a little bit more because they also had uh, they had Chris Carter, they had Randy Moss, and they had Jake Reed. A lot of a lot of people yeah. forget about Jake Reed, and Jake Reed was a really really good football player. Um, and what's what was crazy is they had those three with Culpepper, but they also had uh, you know Randall Cunningham had a nice. Oh yeah, a resurgence with them too. So it was like a crazy deal, but yeah, it, you know, it was Blake was a guy that didn't do so great on the intermediate throws, uh, but the short and the deep ball, he was just outstanding. He and Pickens had you know a couple of Pro Bowl seasons between both of them, and they just go overlooked so often because they were in an era that uh, the team was just so bad, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, you could you could go back and talk about what. What could have been? Um, I mean, you, you look at the fact that the Bengals basically had they, – they moved on to Jeff Blake. They had Carl Pickens. They had Darnay Scott. And then they invested in Kajana Carter. And you're sitting here and you go, well, that should have just been that, – that offense should have been able to take them places. Well, obviously, we know what happened with Kajana Carter, who, by the way, would also be a very interesting yes, documentary yes. to watch. Um, that, that would be another interesting one to watch. That one just – came to me like that but um yeah i mean just some of those guys that you know we hear so much about the guys in the 80s because the team went to two super bowls we hear about all the guys in the marvin lewis era because they were more 
competitive then. Um, so I, for me, those are, those are a couple, a couple of guys I would be interested to hear a bit more about. Um, we had a, a comment on the thread in Cincy jungle by, uh, darkest deity, Mike Brown, ha ha ha. Talking about used jock strap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was, uh, I, yeah. I think the less I hear from his mouth, the better. Yeah, I would, I, I would, uh, I'd be fine about that. Um, one other one I thought, and and I guess this has to do a good one from Sean Blankenship here, Corey Dillon, um, Will Smith, oh, yes. yes, yeah, Will Smith, Odell Thurman, um, that that would be a really interesting one. <laughs> Andrew Seiler documentary on Obwehi. I don't know if you're serious or not, Andrew, but I'd I'd probably pass on that one. Um, like a tragedy. Yeah, the, the one I would be interested in, and even though he played for a number of different teams, but he spent, I think, the most of his career, and unfortunately he made the news again this week, is Adam Jones. Um, that might be just chronicling his life, maybe his upbringing, um, and all of his troubles. Um, that might be an interesting one for me. I don't know about you. Yeah, um, and, and with Jones, it's it's more sad. Like, like you're disappointed that, it, this stuff keeps happening, but at the same time, like it's just, it's just sad that, and not only Adam Jones is in the Randy Gregory, the traffic from a few years ago, he suspended again for, for substance abuse. And I, I feel like a lot of people take the Josh Gordon route where they just assume that these guys are just like stupid and they they shouldn't have, have these privileges that they should. But I mean, wh- whether it's addiction of drugs or alcohol, like, like this is serious stuff. And unfortunately with Jones, it, 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 it appears to have happened again. And, at the same time, you can't you can't count on them to you know produce for you for your team, but this but they're also humans and they, they undergo a lot of stress. And whether it's Jones or Gregory or even a guy like Gordon, like it's it's more sad. And I, and I feel like we should probably have a little more empathy for those guys. Yeah, I mean the the shame in in and I don't want to get on a big soapbox about it, but um, you know I just I think that he would be an interesting guy for a documentary and yes. Pac yeah. Man. But um, you know I, I think you're right in the fact that the big shame of it for me is you know he's in his mid thirties, he's got two girls at home. He's, he's married and he's, it's one thing if, you know, you kind of keep getting into trouble or, but it's the same kind of things. It's the same venues. It's the same situations. It's the same. To me, it's, it's like, uh, I, I don't know. He's just not learning. Um, or, or he's just, you know, like you said, maybe he's addicted to certain things and, uh, I don't know, but uh, not my place to judge, uh, but it would be interesting, especially what happened in the Las Vegas situation, that tragic situation a handful yeah. of years back. Hearing about that, um, I think that would make for some compelling stuff. Uh, thanks for everybody, and you can still vote. Uh, the, the poll is open on Twitter. Uh, we just wanted to kind of have a little fun and talk about some of the the more interesting um, interesting. People, <laughs> oh, there's some there's some more good ones here, John. Uh, Roger Moore says TJ Hushmanzada, that'd be a good one. Uh, the one says Takeo Spikes would be good. Uh, Rusty Shackelford says Andrew Whitworth. I think I think that once he that, once he, yeah once, that that's going to be in the making for yeah. sure. Once he closes his career, I think that's I think they'll do a football life on him. I'm sure. Um, and uh, so and, and good for him that he's been able to keep his career going. And he recently announced this week that he's going to play again this year. So, um, so awesome. good for him. Yeah. Right. And Rusty follows it up. I would like to see a doc on the 2005 Bengals. Um, yeah. There's a lot of characters on that, both on the, on the player side and the coach side. Um, a lot of good stuff, but 
for now, the Bengals, and they were very well done. Uh, Carson Palmer was, they had a football life on him. Uh, they did one on Paul Brown, which I thought was very entertaining. I don't know if you ever saw that one, John. Um, I did, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. And uh, they did one on, on Ocho a while ago. So, um, you know, there's probably more coming up. Maybe Marvin, maybe somebody else. I don't know. But, uh, you know, hopefully they, they spread the wealth a little bit in terms of making some of these documentaries. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get to some listener questions here in just a second. Um, you can get get those to us via YouTube. We've already got a bunch teed up, so we're going to try and get to as many as possible. Um, you can get those to us in the live YouTube chat, the uh, com- comment thread on cincyjungle.com. You can also get them to us on, on Twitter at BengalsOBI or, or by texting or calling us 949-542-6241. This show is available on iTunes on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Megaphone, on YouTube, and on CincyJungle.com. Uh, John, there's there's a a bunch of different ones I could I could go with. Um, I guess we can start with um, quickly on this one. Frank from Virginia. Um, how? What's the opinion of how the defense is going to be set up? Three, four, four, three hybrid personnel changes, that sort of thing. Um, I think that's kind of the the question du jour with the Bengals, given the defensive coordinator situation, who they just brought in on defensive line uh, as the defensive line coach. Um, so your your thoughts on that one? Yeah, um, they're going to be rushing four guys and dropping seven into coverage for seventy percent of the snaps. Whether it's they're in four down linemen or three down linemen for the 20 something snaps in the game where people like to harp on their quote unquote base packages, but the defense isn't changing that much. Hopefully they work work a little bit on their, on their scheme a little bit with their linebackers and putting them in better positions look like, and and how they're going to attack it. I don't think it's going to change that much, but honestly though, it it is interesting how some assistants for the Bengals have, have experience in that three, four, and they, they could be more multiple and, do a little bit more different things, but ultimately I think it's going to be pretty much the same. Yeah. I, you know, and I think the Bengals will probably still do the nickel, you know, a lot of nickel stuff and that that'll depend Everything on does. Like, yeah, that's, that's just how it is. Uh, it's just, that's what the personnel on offense usually dictates to them. We do have another call on the line. Uh, it is from Spencer from Cincinnati and Spencer. Uh, thanks for calling in. I know you tried to call in last week and we missed you. What's on your mind tonight, buddy? having me on. Um, I hope the, my question isn't outdated. Um, I don't think it's been directly touched on, but I was very high on the Zach Taylor hire and the change that the Bengals were having. I did have some concerns with him basically hiring a bunch of friends and ex-colleagues. <laughs> Does that kind of show like a lack of maybe leadership or command of a room or him being open-minded to other people? If he's surrounding himself with friends, won't they be more inclined to agree with him and maybe be a little easy on him? That is a great question. Hey, hey uh, John, your thoughts on on that? I, I've got a couple thoughts of my own on it, but your your thoughts on what Spencer's asking with Zach Taylor's staff of 
cronies, I guess. <laughs> yeah, cronies is like the perfect. It's not so much nepotism as, as it is in cronies, but I think it's a double edged sword, man. Like, like you had that aspect of it where you're you're a first time head coach and you're with a bunch of guys that you work with in the past, and presumably you're establishing some type of workplace where you know you're an authority, but you're not going to be challenged that much because you're surrounding yourself with guys you trust, and hopefully they're you know. They're, they're going to be in a position where not only does he trust these guys, but they trust him to tell him the truth and to, in order for him to make the most decisions that he's going to rely on, on a lot of their input. But also at the same time, when you are that young first time head coach, then you're going to be one surrounded with guys that are comfortable that you know are going to buy into what, what, what you're building as far as the culture goes, as far as the system goes. So I think it kind of works both ways and you kind of have to take the good with the bad. Me personally, there was some hires that I was really questioning, you know, is this guy just hiring him, not based on his qualifications, but just with his past associations with them. Jim Turner's like the guy that sticks out to me most with that. But at the same time, I, I think there are some benefits with it and it's kind of just something that you got you to have to take with, with the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah. yeah and it, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with it as well. I, I, uh, I see it and I go, well, young coach, first time head coach, he's got to have guys that he trusts in the room. He's got to have guys who he thinks number one will be on the same page as him. Number, number two, run the systems that he is familiar with and he wants to run. And number three, just having guys in the room that'll give it to him real about certain players, certain situations. Now, I think Spencer brings up that what, what happens is when you when you bring in a bunch of guys to work under you that you're comfortable with, there there's the possibility of yeah, I mean you're going to run stuff that everybody's on the same page and you know it, it should be a potentially a well-oiled machine, but you run the risk of just hiring, and I think this is maybe where Spencer's coming from. You run the risk of maybe hiring a bunch of yes men, um, mm-hmm. and I I don't that would not be good. Uh, and I th- not to say that everybody needs to call out Zach Taylor or anything like that, but um, if, if he's just kind of saying these things and, and dictating these certain things, obviously he's the boss, but um, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that he's hired guys to get, not really push back, but at least give their two cents and, and make it a, a valuable piece of two cents. And, and uh, you know, the other facet Spencer that, I think goes into this all is uh, the the carousel of the defensive coordinator situation. I think that has kind of uh, turned a lot of people. I don't say turned a lot of people off, but it is the, the positivity. A lot of that has kind of dissipated when, you know, you're now six or seven coordinators down the pecking order, at least uh, at, according to reports. Yeah. What my deal. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling in again this week, Spencer. Appreciate it. Uh, make, make it a habit, buddy. Yeah, of course. All right. Take it easy. Yeah, take it easy. Uh, that was Spencer calling us on the, on the phone line there. Uh, we had another question from a uh, good friend, Carlos Andre, and uh, oh, boy. Oh, I saw this one. Hey. It's a good one, but it's uh, hey. um, trading for Josh Rosen. I mean, uh, there's talk that the Cardinals are, are going to be enamored with Kyler Murray because of Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Keim, their GM. Uh, they really like Kyler Murray. And even though, you know, this is a new coach, and even though, though last year's regime brought in Rosen, um, you know, they may move on and try and dangle Rosen out there for a trade. Rosen did not have a good rookie season, but that team was – Awful. Hot garbage. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
I, I guess your thoughts, it, let's start with this. Your, your thoughts last year on Rosen as a pro, because I didn't, you weren't with us last year uh, when we were kind of talking about some of these guys. So I'd like to get your thoughts on Rosen's professional outlook based on tape you watched to him and things you saw about him. I didn't watch a ton of Arizona, but I do know that that offensive line was nothing to write home about. And it's hard to just judge a quarter, a young quarterback, a, a first-year starter. I think he started 13 games. I think he came in week three when Sam Bradford was playing awful predictably. And the offensive line had no one – besides maybe Mason Cole at center, no one at, at tackle, no one at guard that was that was worth starting on the field. It's like starting for Alex Redmonds and Bobby Hart. So he was having trouble yeah. not, not, not only, like, you know, finding time to find guys open, but all he really had a receiver was Larry Fitzgerald for most of the year. And Christian Kirk kind of stepped up t- towards the later year, and he just started developing good chemistry with him. But overall, it was just, the, like, by far the worst offense in the league. They had no idea how to use David Johnson for most of the year, which is basically impossible when you think about it. But, um, yeah, like, r- rookie years for quarterbacks in, in large part are just they, – they're just kind of – irrelevant in the grand scheme of things only very rarely do rookie quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield Russell Wilson light it up in their first year and that's usually when they're surrounded by great talent up front offensive line have great options on the outside and have uh, an offensive coordinator in a scheme that kind of works with them but Rosen the prospect and I, I I'm not exactly comfortable doing this because I don't like when people do this but when you compare Rosen to the top guys in this draft class I, I, I wouldn't say that he would be anywhere different in terms of in terms of rankings, I think he was a top three guy last year, clearly maybe even top two. And I think that's where he would be if he came out this year competing with Haskins and Murray. So you're, you're thinking you're, you're getting like a top quarterback prospect for the price of not even trading up for, for one, which is what you usually have to do. So in theory, I think either having Rosen behind a veteran like Dalton or putting him in, you know, immediately to, 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 chill, to, to still try to get his feet wet would be a pretty decent situation because he does have good receivers. He at least has more pieces on the offense line than he had to work with um, in Arizona. Hopefully, you know, Zach Taylor implements a, a, a friendly system to whoever is, is quarterbacking um, his football roster in 2019. But um, like in general, I, I don't think they necessarily – do considerably better or considerably worse with Rosen compared to Andy Dalton, even though Dalton's a more established veteran, but there's raw talent to like about Rosen. And I think he's a, a smart and intelligent kid that's going to be able to command a locker room. But when, when he kind of hits his stride and that's not happening yet, but it's an, it's a long-term investment for the Bengals or any team to possibly make this happen. And I, I wouldn't be completely against it. I, I do see the, the, the flaws in it all, but I like Rosen as a quarterback prospect, and the Bengals do need to find someone eventually to take over for Dalton. I think this is not the worst avenue to take. Yeah, I've, I have a follow-up question for you, but just real quick, my take on him. I saw quite a bit of him at uh, UCLA. Um, the kid makes throws that are just wow. They're beautiful. Uh, and, and there's times where you're like, dude, do you even care? Do you even care that you're on the field right now? Um, and I think uh, – you know, I think part of that was UCLA kind of earlier in his career was a, a decent team. And then towards the end, it really kind of uh, – they started to kind of fall apart. And then he kind of, I think, had some injury issues and that sort of thing. But um, he's got an arm. Uh, he can make a lot of a lot of throws. It's it's a consistency issue for me um, with, with him and uh, – I, you know, I think I think the upside is is definitely there, and I think you know, we I think you talked about it with John Ross situation. It's the, you know, you would then be potentially buying low um, on a guy if if 
the Cardinals decide to go that route. The follow-up question I want to have for you on this is basically, I mean, obviously the Bengals trading for Rosen is something that would be interesting, but obviously there's, there's a value aspect and, and it depends, there's a dependent issue on, you know, what would they be giving up? So what's, what's kind of the maximum type of capital you would be willing to give up probably this year for a guy like Rosen right now? Well I, would think, well, I would think Arizona want that 11th overall pick. And um, like, I would probably start with like, like, like a couple day two picks because of what we saw from Rosen. And this is kind of like playing the whole negotiating thing and hopefully keep it there. But if it comes, if it, if it ultimately comes to that first to that 11th overall pick, you're thinking, okay, what, what am I giving up? If, if, you know, I keep that pick, I, I get maybe a top two tackle in this draft class and maybe getting Devin White, the best linebacker in this draft. But, you know, honestly, you know, fans have been saying, you know, th- th- this team is in a position to win now. And it, it uh, to me personally, I, I, it has to be if they want to go further than where they have in the past, you know, seven, eight years, they probably need someone a little bit more talented than Andy Dalton. I think Rosen can become that. And the sooner that you have that quarterback in place in your system, the better. And honestly, like if, if it costs the limit overall pick, then that's. I would strongly consider that it might end up actually pulling the trigger if it's if it's that eleventh overall pick and they keep the rest of their picks and they keep their future picks. Maybe if they have to give up like a future third or something like that, maybe like a conditional. Like, yeah, yeah, something like that, depending on how it happens. But like quarterback is the name of the game, and he's he still has four years left on his rookie deal for affordability. That you can do you can do more things with that cap space that you save with Dalton, or you keep Dalton and you have you know Dalton playing ahead of Rosen, and you know you, you just have that kind of bridge transitional thing because Rosen's still twenty two years old and he's not completely ready to take over the league by any means. So you know I, that overall that eleventh overall pick would definitely be on the table for me, and if it, mm. it ends up coming to it, I would heavily consider it. Yeah, I mean it's a little high for me, but um, I mean that that might be what it takes. So uh, you know, for for what is what was looked at as a premier quarterback in last year's draft. Last question, we'll get out of here, John. Um, it, it's a quick one. Uh, I, I didn't get the name of this person, but it was a text coming in. Um, most important game on the on the schedule next season, and why? Holy my God, it's like February. Like we don't even know <laughs> we don't even know what these teams are going to look like. But um, let's see, they play the NFC West. Uh, they played the Rams in London. That's yeah. that's pretty damn that's pretty damn important. They tied last time in London to uh, the Redskins. Yeah, who, thanks thanks NFL. By the way, I was I was planning on going to that game uh, in LA. <laughs> that's right. Because you went to the Chargers game last year, right? I did. Yeah, yeah but the Coliseum, I guess, is the is a better place than the StubHub Center. But, yeah. Um. That, that's that. I think that's pretty important for for Taylor's new squad to go up against his old squad and. I, I don't know if you called prime time and like kicks off at six thirty your local time in London. Yeah. But um <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's 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 on the that's on the docket of importance. Obviously the Steelers games are always important. They play the NFC West. Who, who, what's, what what division of the AFC do they play? The South, maybe? The East? Uh I wanna say it's the East, but I'm not hundred percent sure. If they play the East and obviously the Patriots, because like the like they played the Chiefs last year and the Chiefs are gonna be like the next best thing in the AFC and they failed that test miserably. So just any game against the Patriots are important to kind of a barometer of where you are compared to the lead in your conference. So that like those, those are two Super Bowl teams and your biggest rivals. So those are probably the biggest four games. Yeah. So you've got, uh, looks like NFC West and AFC East. Yeah. So two, uh, two Super Bowl teams. Yeah. 
Wee! To me, I mean, obviously, to the division games are always the most important to me. Uh, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to say the Browns game. One of the Browns yes. games is probably yes. going to be the most important. I think the Steelers will be on the downswing based on all of the drama that they have. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be terrible. I just think that they will not be a 10-win team like they usually are. Um, everybody and their mother is building up the Browns uh, after what they did last year in Baker Mayfield. I would love to see them fall from grace. Uh, I, I saw a reporter today on Twitter saying he was going to tell Freddie Kitchens that he had the expectation that the, the Browns were going to go 12-4 and four next year. <laughs> um, so uh, to me, uh, I think a lot of – and I think a lot of people are, are, are going this way. I think – I don't think there's a lot of people who are long-term believers in Lamar Jackson – um, I don't. I don't think uh, a lot of people are high on the Steelers based on all of the attrition that's probably going to take place at, in some of their offensive skill positions. And then the Bengals are in a major state of transition themselves. So I think a lot of people think that this is the Browns' division to lose. Um, so I, oddly enough, I'm going to say you know whatever one you want to pick, um, the Browns' game is probably going to be very important next year. Um, and you know it's it's division, it's conference, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. to me, that's that's where I'd go. Thanks for all the questions tonight, guys. On a variety of different ways, we got texts, we had tweets, we had calls, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we probably had some more in the live YouTube chat. We're just running up against time, so I apologize we couldn't get to those. But uh, if you ever want to send those to us, uh, hit us up via Twitter or anything like that. Um, you know, you can send those our way. We'll try and get to those either on the show or, uh, and or on our mailbag feature that we do on cincyjungle.com. So we appreciate all the, all the feedback and everything. Um, you can get this show, as I've said a couple of times on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google play, you can get it on megaphone. It's also on YouTube and cincyjungle.com. We appreciate the support. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, John Sheeran. So John Ross rumors will not be the first lives you hear. Just remember that everyone's everyone lies and they're all better than you you got it you got a you got a um a guess as to what another one might be uh we'll probably hear some free agency stuff uh we are we've already been bamboozled with perfect news from our, our good buddy andy Furman, but i think that's probably inevitable and we might hear that uh, as free agency kind of approaches but right now they have like what 52 mil they can add six million with perfect he's sucks it seems like a no-brainer and that would probably be my prediction of what happens with that but other than that may- maybe some other surprise cuts from some from some recent draft classes i wouldn't maybe like a jordan willis you know uh, something like that i don't know because this is a whole new coaching staff and they have whole new opinions on players that they didn't bring in so it's going to yeah. be interesting what 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 pops up and what's true and what's not yeah man jordan willis that was a guy i was excited about he has just not done much of anything since joining the Bengals, unfortunately. Uh, I don't really have too much of a final thought, but just um, letting uh, our folks know, our listeners know, that we'll probably, for the live broadcast, we'll probably be, and and my thanks to John Sheeran about this for his flexibility over the past couple of weeks, um, we probably will be recording Tuesday night uh, next week, which actually timing wise is pretty well because that's closer to the conclusion of the combine. So we're going to try and get maybe a guest or something like that on that uh, was either there or, uh, you know, is connected to the Bengals in some respect and, uh, and talk to them about that. So um, the show probably will be recorded Tuesday. I think 
I think that's what we agreed upon. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, we're just heads up on that. Uh, it'll, and it, the stuff will show up on the feed a little bit earlier, uh, but we appreciate all the support and um, subscribe to our channels and uh, keep, keep in touch with us. We want to hear from you guys. It's a listener driven show. So keep it that way. Thanks for everything. Thanks, John. Appreciate uh, all your input. And uh, Hey, Combine's right around the corner. We're, we're, we're talking about a new league year here. Free agency will, will get started here in just a couple of weeks. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.